Lauren Cunningham has led teams of young people all around the world to spread the gospel. And when he looks at their devotion while visiting dangerous places, he knows these young people aren't just sightseeing. You don't die because you wanted to go for a lark or for adventure. You die because Jesus asked you to go. And you have to be, you have to be willing, I think, to be a martyr. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We have an incredible privilege this week here on VOM Radio. Our guest is Lauren Cunningham. He is a legend in the missions community. He's the founder of Youth with a Mission. And uh, he has been, and, and I think this may be even more of a claim to fame, he has been to every country on the planet, uh, which is a pretty amazing passport, a pretty amazing resume. Lauren, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, and I want to thank you for what you're doing around the world. Thank you very much. Lauren, you felt the call of God at age 13 to go into all the world and share the gospel. Some of our listeners are, are young. They are people who are, who are trying to hear that call. They're, they're saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What advice would you give them, or, or how would you encourage them as they seek that out? I think it's really wonderful, but especially at that age, 12, 13, 14, Jesus was 12 when he went into the temple and scrolled. I tell them we scroll today, so it's okay, <laughs> Jesus did. But as, as young people right now, they are so called into diverse opportunities, but the, the way to do it is get alone with God and just wait and listen and ask God, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, he'll tell you. And what would you like me to do? And he has a destiny for you. And a gift and a calling was given to you in your mother's womb. And when you realize that this was something special, and it'll come out of you in a variety of ways. But Psalms 119 verse 105 says that it's two parts to it. One is a big picture. That's the light to the pathway. The other is the lamp to the feet. That's the next step you have to take. And don't confuse the two because you'll think, oh, well, I didn't hear from God. When I heard from God of the light to the pathway, it was huge. This 1956, uh, just before I was 21 years old, I was out in the Caribbean. And, and God spoke to me there through a picture of waves and those waves of young people they became waves of young people going on every continent of the world by the millions and we've seen over five million now short term with ywam but as they've gone to every continent every nation every major dependent country and minor ones to do i've been to all of those as well whenever we get that call we become a part of that wave and he'll use many organizations for it. He used us, but he uses a lot of others. 
and we have wonderful opportunities to serve. But maybe God's calling you to start something new. Do it. Just step out and do what God's telling you. And uh, that's the way you begin. It's just listening to God. Listen, obey, listen, obey, listen, obey. And it's not going to all be easy, but it's all going to be real. And I think one of the things you said is as we serve, other people are going to affirm the gifts that we have. Other people are going to say, hey, you're really good at this. Did that happen in your life? Did, was there somewhere along the way where somebody said, hey, Lauren, I see that you're really good at this. You ought to, you ought to pursue that. Well, I, I've never been asked that question, but I, it's really true. I started out, uh, of course, at age 13, I got the call, but 17, I went with 11 other guys to Mexico, para predicar el evangelio, in order to preach the gospel in my bungling way in Spanish, and people came to Christ, and I was amazed. <laughs> and uh, and so as I started out at UCLA for a year there, and then I went away to Bible school and seminary, and now I'd done a lot of things. I I started a church when I was 19. Uh, you know, it still exists today is out in the community where they didn't have a church. And I was going to Bible school, and I wanted something to give. I'd been there two weeks already. I needed to give away. <laughs> and so I, I started this. Then I turned it over to someone else after it became a mega church of 55. <laughs> and uh, and then the next summer, we started going out in, in musical and preaching, and we covered every state in the Union. And we'd also gone into Mexico, Canada, and Caribbean. It, it was my third year there. The faculty came to me, and then the student body council came to me and said, Lauren, would you consider being president of the student body because he didn't show up? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, what, what do you do? And uh, I never thought of myself as a leader. It was then they were telling me, you are a leader. You've been, look what you've done. Oh, I, I didn't know leaders did that. But... Uh, but when they gave me the list, I said, oh, I think I can do that. It was them outside seeing something in me that I never put a label on it, leader. Interesting. Lauren, you've been to every country in the world. I'm sure people ask you because they ask me, and I've not been to nearly that many countries. What's your favorite? How hmm. do you answer that question? I always have to ask it with a question. Well, what do you mean favorite <laughs> and what category? I love the sand dunes of the Egypt and North Africa. I've been out to Timbuktu, for example, and it was on my birthday. And they took me out. We had a team there full time. And they took me out at the end of a sand dune for my birthday and just prayed blessing and giving me scriptures of blessing. We got stuck in our four-wheel drive, and some Arabs came over the hill, you know, walking slowly and helped us get out. And But I also love Switzerland. I love New Zealand, Australia. I've been on the back and all around the nation on land as well as in the air. Every place has something charming. Every place has something wonderful. I was in Irian Jaya. That's the other side of Papua New Guinea. I was over the hill down in the jungle area, hot, sticky. I was with a um, tribe that had been headhunters and cannibals for many generations. 
And they took me out, the men did, to have a bath in the river. And, and the bath is all silt. You can't see your hand two inches under. And they said, uh, you shouldn't stay too long. There's bad snakes in there. <laughs> oh, man. I almost walked on the water, you know, getting out of there. But uh, that night I sat before the elders on a mass a grass mat. And uh, they were giving me a feast, they said, in my honor. You know, you don't know if you're going to be the feast. Then I... I said, okay, uh, I'll come. And they brought me a heaping plate of roasted grub worms. And uh, so I took a you know, little bit, a handful, four or five, and started to pass it on. They said, no, no, it's all for you. <laughs> and they brought me two more. I, I had to eat three heaping plates of, of grub worms. And uh, people have asked me what it tastes like. I just tell them, well, if you take a box of Kellogg's cornflakes and pour it into your bowl, and eat the box. That's what it tastes like. There was no spice, no sugar, no salt, no nothing. And, of course, I've had jungle rat in the Amazon. That was greasy. I had, in Angola, I had fried lizards. You know, that wasn't bad. And then I tell them this. One of the craziest foods I had was uh, where they had a, an animal that was not yet formed, an embryo of an animal in the court sort of a sack that it was in. And they warmed it slightly and fed it to me, and it just goes down easily. And that was, that was in Oklahoma, and they called it soft-boiled eggs. <laughs> you know, it's all your mental, what you right. look at things as. And what we do looks funny to what they do. Yeah. And uh, I just love the differences of nations. Yeah. And so that's my answer. The differences I see. That's a great answer. Usually what I tell people is the last one. My favorite <laughs> one is the last one yeah, I was just in. That's a good one. Let's talk about YWAM. The reason you're here at Voice of the Martyrs, the reason we have a partnership together is because you're sending people to the hard places, the, the places where it's dangerous, it's costly, it's hard to share the gospel. I particularly want to hear your insights on how you get people ready for that. How do you get people ready to go to a place where they might not come home? Uh, yeah, that's a hard one for me to talk about sometimes. Yeah, uh, I've, I've come very near losing my life different times. One time when I was just out, out of university, and uh, I'd gone to university last and graduate school and so on. I, I was in West Africa preaching where no one had ever shared the gospel before. But I I got malaria and hepatitis at the same time. Oh, my. And I was between places, and nobody knew me. I had to find a little African. They called it a hotel, but it's just a bed. And I don't know how long I was there. It was out of my mind. Wow. But uh, got up skinny as a rail. <laughs> Went on, preached, and kept going. At that age, I was just 25, 26. And uh, you don't die at that age. You don't think so. <laughs> but uh, so we, we've learned a lot, been through wars, as I mentioned, been through all kinds of accidents, rolling vehicles and all the rest. And God's protected me, and he's protected our workers. There's hard places geographically, like in the Himalayas, we have a team, like I mentioned, in Mustang. We had one team walk 100 miles up to the, the village 
about 14,000 feet in the sky. Wow. And 50 miles back, so 50, 50, 100 miles. Now, the way that we train them is CrossFit. We, we train them in, in that. We had a CrossFit instructor. You'd see them running around our campus there in Kona, uh, Hawaii, and uh, as they had run around, they had weights on them, you know, carrying the weights, <laughs> running up hills. Yeah, that's how they trained. And, uh, of course, it's it's treacherous at times. A group of ours went up to the Zanzkar people. Sounds like a Japanese sports car, doesn't it? They went way up above the 14,000 into the 15,000 level. And there's a people up there that had never heard about Jesus at all and no scripture whatsoever. And on the way up, one of the donkeys slipped and fell. He's carrying the kerosene, and he fell thousands of feet down. It's a narrow little pathway. Wow. And up there, their their uh, custom is totally different. They're polygamous, but it's one wife, several husbands. And uh, they sleep in their house with their animals, because the animals would die. It's too cold out. And so we go into places that aren't easy, you know, even in walk. In the Amazon, we have over 300 full-time there. We have over 300 full-timers in, in Nepal. And then we have many hundreds that come and go on projects, getting the Word of God to where it's never been before. And it's it's just absolutely astounding to us and it's the best kind of pay we could ever get is to see them as they get the word of God. I think of one Hindu man who he was head of the whole village. This is a recent one this year. And he was given a Bible. It was an oral recording because he didn't read. And uh, we have that on SD cards. They they actually have little telephones mm-hmm. up there. there no, no, no reception, but that's how they play music and even movies. So we put the Jesus film on it, as well as the Bible, and uh, in their mother tongue. And in some cases, it's the market tongue. But we're trying to get the Bible into every one of the mother tongues because the heart language is stronger uh, than the other. And we see, see many come to Christ as they get the word of God. Then we have the political hard places. And then we have also the the kind of places where there's much violence and war. And so we're in all of those. And uh, we won't mention a lot about the political because that cuts off for us <laughs> our our opportunities. How do you how do you get people ready for those the the idea that that okay you're going to go to this place and you could die there. We're you know we're going to do everything we can to help you and make you safe and but we might do everything we can and you still might die. How do you get people ready to to look at that sacrifice and say okay, I'm willing to go? Well, first of all, we as leaders go and we go with them. <clears throat> we don't say go, we say follow us. Come. And and uh, we've all been through a lot of these issues. That's a part of it. But the other part is that I think it's really important for every person to know that God is what calling them. You don't die because you want to go f- for a lark or for adventure. 
you die because Jesus asked you to go. And you have to be, you have to be willing, I think, to be a martyr. I, that's my own theology of martyrdom. But I think you say, I think Stephen said to, to God, I, I'll do what you want. I'll, I'll go and I'll be a part of that great throng of martyrdoms. And uh, they, they really give their life to the Lord. We had in the United States the shootings at one of our bases. Came in, the guy had been going to a Satanist church. And he was demonized, no doubt about it. And he came at 12 o'clock as they're finishing up their Christmas party. Uh, the staff was cleaning up. And he knocked on the door, the girl that opened the door. He pulled his gun out and shot her and another and wounded two others. But the door clicked shut. He was coming to kill everyone in the dorm. But uh, it didn't happen. He ran away, ran away. And the largest church in Colorado... Uh, another two two hours away from there. The next morning, he called on his off-duty police to come and, and protect and come armed. And that was at 7 a.m. And so it was at the second service where this man showed up again. And this time he had over a 1,000 rounds he was going to kill as many of the people standing and worshiping as he could with a thousand rounds. He heard a door click behind him. A, a van opened up and two young ladies stepped out and he turned and shot them, killed them, and, and wounded their father who was driving. Now, no one knew this. He didn't know this, but de the devil did. These were two YWAMers, just came back from China. And I know they had said, Lord, our life is in your hands. And because he shot them, there was no one guarding the door where he was heading. And one of the police, it was a woman, came running because she heard the shots. And he started to shoot her. She, she shot him, wounded him. He fell, and then he took his own life. And as I walked just that pavement and uh, praying, trying to understand. And I, I felt the Lord assured me that it was okay with those two girls. They were at their home church. They were off, off duty, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And yet they saved the lives of hundreds, hundreds of people at least because he shot them. And so... He took his own life then laying there. When when I think about the hard places, it can be in Chicago. It could be in a little town. And so I would say, yeah, how do you prepare them for going to school? Little kids, kindergarten, and they get, they get killed. So how do we prepare? I think we have to prepare by just simply saying to the Lord, Revelation tells us how to do it, and uh, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and love not our lives even unto death. But let me add one other thing. For 16 years, we didn't lose one life in YWAM, from the beginning till 76, 
not one life. So we had about 1,600 meeting at that time at the Olympics in, in Montreal. And God gave me a big, very hard assignment that morning in prayer. He said, I want you to tell them I protected YWAMers from death, not from accidents, not from disease, not from other things, but I protected them from death because YWAM, youth, everybody was saying, you can't send young people out like that. Well, Jesus did. God did. You know, look at look at Joseph. He is 17, became a slave and imprisoned and a lot of things. But David, uh, he was only 16 before Goliath. Well, he was risking his life for sure. Mm-hmm. Or you look at, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were 13 when they went to the foreign country. And uh, so did John Mark, you know, he wrote the book of Mark. When people say, yeah, but he went home to mommy's cooking, I say, yeah, he wrote the book of Mark. What have you done? You know? <laughs> so we gotta, we got to look at that. And so when I, the Lord said, I'm going to start, there will be some that you're going to lose lives now. And so I announced this to 1,600 of our workers, and that was hard to do. And a year later, the first two died in YWAM with an automobile accident in London. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It was, and we have a lower death rate than Americans the same age living in America. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's, that's a God of grace and mercy. God of protection. But he also protects us. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Lauren Cunningham. He's the founder of Youth with a Mission. Lauren, one of the areas where VOM and YWAM are partnering together is Bibles, getting Bibles into the hands of people. I know that has become really your passion. Tell us a little bit about why that's so important at this particular stage in history to get God's Word out to everyone, to as many people as we possibly can. It's not only important, every major move of God that goes beyond revival. Now, revival is reviving saints. But when saints get revived, the world looks on and they're saying, whoa, what happened? I want to know. And that starts what we call a spiritual awakening. We had it with Jonathan Edwards. We had it at Azusa Street. We had it with Charles Finney. Every case, as you as you study the case, the Bible was already there before. And that's true with Andrew Murray in South Africa. That's true with Duncan Campbell in, in Hebrides. I went through the Hebrides with him five months before he died, telling me all the stories and so on. The Bible was always there prior. And then I found out in Indonesia, they, uh, Darlene and I, my wife and I were out there in uh, mid-60s. And uh, the revival had just taken place in, in West Timor. So I went to the Bible school, Batu, and talked to Octavio Yunus, the head. I said, I want to know because I wanted it for YWAM. We could have spiritual awakenings and all the rest too. And so what did you do differently? He said, nothing. We just trained them normally and sent them out on outreach and prayed over them. And we got there and boom, it all happened. I said, well, where was the Bible? He says, we didn't give him a Bible. I said, you didn't? And it wasn't there before? No. No, no, it was another religion. No, there's no Bible there. And so 
I couldn't understand that because every other move of God, look at the Halga movement in Norway, look at the, the Franca movement in, in uh, Germany and the, the Moravians and so on. I can show you that there was always Bible going out in front. It lays the carpet. It's like the wood on Mount Carmel where Elijah puts wood there and even <laughs> waters it down. Uh-huh. And then, then he calls on God and the Holy Spirit in fire comes on the wood. So in the same way, when the, the Holy Spirit and the Word come together, there is at that time an explosion into society at large. We're talking about atheists coming to Christ. We're talking about the vilest sinners coming to Christ. They all start turning in great numbers. Uh, Mr. Germaniti came to our home. We were living in Europe at that time. And uh, as we talked to him, he said, I'm a retired missionary. Where, where were you? And he says, Indonesia. Oh, were you there during revival? He said, no, that was before my time, but I I was on West Timor for 12 years. I said, well, tell me something. How could we see such an amazing outbreak of, of a real spiritual awakening with another religion? How could we see that without a Bible? I heard that they did nothing about putting a Bible. He said, what do you mean? My wife and I spent 12 years putting a Bible in every home. Then the Lord said, go. Two years later, the fire came. Wow. You see, (laughs) we have to have a carpet of the Word of God in every language on earth if we want to see a spiritual awakening globally, not just, I've only told you nationally. That's all I can tell you. But globally, when the Bible is in everyone's household, or at least available to them, they can see a spiritual awakening, and it will bypass the ones that don't want to do anything with the Bible. But when you start imbibing, engaging with the Bible, and you begin to submit to what God is saying in the Word with the Holy Spirit's revelation, otherwise it's a letter that kills but it's a letter that brings life whenever the Spirit and the Word comes together, and it can happen globally, and that's what I believe because God's given us the digital generation. He's given us satellites. He's given us every way possible that we can now not only deliver it but follow through with it, and we're boots on the ground. We get to see some of the great results right out there, and I believe that by 2020, we can at least get a recorded uh, scripture in every language on earth. And we're working on the last 1,776 languages with no, not one scripture whatsoever. And we're believing God as we put the Jesus film in it and then the, the word of God in their mother tongue, we're going to have an explosion worldwide. Amen. Amen. We've been talking today with Lauren Cunningham. He's the founder of Youth with a Mission, or YWAM. He's been talking about the importance of getting God's Word into the hands of those who have never had it before. You know, Bible distribution is one of our passions here at The Voice of the Martyrs, getting Bibles into the toughest places on earth. And you can help us do that. If you come to vomradio.net, put your mouse over the Donate tab at the top of the page, and then click on Bibles to Captive Nations. If you click on that link, you can give online to help 
with Voice of the Martyrs Bible distribution efforts. Last year, that was more than one million Bibles going into hostile and restricted nations. So if you'd like to be involved in that, come to vomradio.net, then the Donate tab at the top of the page, and then click on Bibles to Captive Nations. vomradio.net is also where you can hear every single episode of VOM Radio and subscribe to our podcast. Next week, Lauren Cunningham is going to be back with us to give us more perspective about knowing God's will and his mission for our lives. Plus, our friend Charles Morris from Haven Ministries is going to share about his recent visit to northern Iraq. I hope you'll be with us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.